You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And as I sit here today, Frank, and I look at my phone and I look at my team on draft, I see myself in second place and I feel okay in the six team league that we did. How Kevin, are, how- Kevin Love screwed me, is what mm. this comes down to. Kev, I, I got I picked Joel Embiid at some point. I don't know what, which pick I used on him. But I picked Joel Embiid because um, I don't like the Sixers. Uh, I root against them. And so I figured this would be a hedge on my happiness. Um, <laughs> and it ended up working out well because Joel had a good yeah. game. And uh, the Rockets, I was watching the game with my wife, who, as I've said a billion times on this podcast, my wife is from Houston and is a big Rockets fan. And we got to see uh, Eric Gordon hit a game-winning three at the buzzer to beat the Sixers. So I think an all-around good night for me and uh, my relationship with the Sixers. Um but, oh um, Frank, now I'm in third. It just it just uh, updated. Yeah, I've got. I, I was very weird. I've got like Lonzo, which is like feels crazy that Lonzo. I picked Lonzo in like a you know five team or sorry six team draft where you only pick five players. But yeah. um, his stats, like he's actually putting. I mean, he's he's really putting up numbers. Star, yeah. yeah, and I figured I, I figured in a game like this, it's like you know I'm just gonna go for like high volatility guys who might just have huge nights, and you know obviously Lonzo could just lay an egg and whatever, but. I'm probably not going to win anyway, so I might as well just roll the dice on on random dudes. But I think Kevin Love blew it for me, and uh, but that's okay because the Cavs lost in in Brooklyn, so that's that's a plus for for uh, someone yeah. who follows another Eastern Conference team that has at least vague ambitions of uh, challenging for these titles. So um, so yeah, that's good. By the way, before we go any further, I was going to say if oh go ahead. Well, I was going to say very quickly. I I have a uh, I have an apology to make. To anyone else who considers himself a big Spinal Tap fan, I, cl- I, I think I made reference last night to uh, the the line about uh, a fine line between clever and, and stupid or stupid and clever being from Nigel Tufnell in that movie, and I, I completely I completely blew that. Dan Schaefer was like, "Oh, that's great! I love this scene," and tweeted me the scene from YouTube, and I was just like, "Oh my god, it's David Saint Hubbins, the other." <laughs> main character from spinal tap who actually says it and i felt just horrible because that's one of my favorite movies so anybody who is listening who is a big spinal tap fan and heard me say that and was just like you are a goddamn idiot you don't even know that it was david (laughs) saint i know now i apologize and i'll just leave it at that back to basketball stuff eric you're going to say something yeah, I was going to say, if you were confused what we were talking about at all with our draft teams, uh, our new sponsor on the podcast is Draft. You can go check out the Draft app uh, on your phone. You can download it or you can go to draft.com and you can do like we did today, create a, a little league and play a quick game. And yeah, I think the draft took what? 
five minutes maybe um we and we had our team for tonight and we were all ready to go and uh it was a way for us to lock in or i guess be locked on the action uh uh and obviously we have a promo code there uh like we do most places where we would do these reads l-o-b-u-c-k-s that's l-o bucks for locked on bucks uh, and that'll get you a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit over at draft Frank, a couple things we wanted to touch on. You have a conversation uh, with John Corrales from Locked On Celtics uh, that we are going to play here at the end of today's uh, Locked On Bucks. It sounds like surprising, I know, uh, that you and John actually ended up having a long conversation when I think maybe you guys had set out to maybe just preview the game. But uh, knowing anything about Locked On Bucks, uh, a conversation with Frank Mann, Typically, not very quick. Uh, so that'll that'll make a lot of sense, and hopefully everyone will enjoy that. Uh, a couple things we wanted to talk about. We had some questions sent to us throughout the day about our discussion of the Eric Bledsoe rumor and kind of where we were at on all of that. Uh, the first one we'll start with, I think, was from Blank on Twitter, and he was curious – how strong of a possibility we felt the trade actually would be like if we had to put a percent uh, a percent chance on whether or not the bucks would actually end up trading for Eric Bledsoe where would we put that percentage and i guess it's kind of an interesting question to me because I wasn't really thinking about it in those terms last night. I was just kind of thinking like, okay, well, you don't want to pay too much. I'd be comfortable going to this this kind of spot, and I would hope the Bucks feel similarly, and that would be that. Uh, but as this Eric Bledsoe stuff drags on, I, I guess maybe you have to actually think about uh, how sweet you might make that deal or maybe, conversely, how crappy of a deal they might take if they continue uh to have this stalemate with eric bledsoe so um where would you put that percent chance at frank yeah it's a good question i mean it, you know i, I think so I, i'll think about this mathematically right so let's start with what is the percentage likelihood that eric bledsoe gets traded let's say by you know the trade deadline okay um and i would say 80 to 90 percent i mean i don't know like the yep. Suns are stupid so maybe they just will hang on to him and you know, spite themselves or something like that. But, um, but let's say it's like 80, let's say conservative, it's like 80% chance he gets traded at all. Um, you know, how many teams actually are in the, you know, in the running for Eric Bledsoe? I don't know, maybe four, like, you know, the, the nuggets, the Bucks, Bucks. nuggets, Knicks have been mentioned. I don't know what they necessarily give up that they'd want to give up. Cavaliers um, are mentioned as well. Cavaliers I think. have been mentioned. I don't know what the Cavs would necessarily give up, but yeah, let's say like four teams. And so, I don't know. I mean, like, would the Bucks be, you know, if you say, okay, divide that evenly among those four teams, 20% each, obviously it's probably not an even split of that distribution, mm-hmm. but, you know, would you expect the Bucks would have a higher or lower than, than sort of average chance at making a deal for Bledsoe among that group? Um, you know, I think the Bucks have been probably talked about more than than probably any team other than the Nuggets. It seems like the Bucks and Nuggets have been the team that, you know, when we listen to, like, our friends at um, – at dunked on Nate Duncan yep. and, and Danny LaRue talked a fair bit about both the Bucks and Nuggets being potential suitors. And so be sure to check out that podcast. I think that was from um, what, yesterday, Tuesday, yep. this Wednesday now. So um, definitely yep. check that and, out. 
and our other friend Andrew Sharp uh, on the Open Floor yeah, podcast talked, talked a lot well. about the Bucks as well as one of those possibilities. Yeah. And I mean, part of that maybe part of that is in part because the Bucks are like a fun team to imagine Bledsoe going to. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously a lot of people like the idea of, of Bledsoe going to a team like the Bucks just because it would make the Bucks that much more interesting as uh, as a you know potential uh, contender in the East. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I initially I was going to say. Um, 10% or something like that. But like when, See, you think yeah. about it, when you think about it this way, I don't know. I mean, I think the big question is just, I don't, I don't think the Bucks are, I, I don't, it doesn't strike me that the Bucks are the kind of team that's going to like break the bank for Eric Bledsoe. But as we were saying yesterday, like, is there a team that's going to break the bank for Eric Bledsoe? Mm-hmm. I just feel like it isn't necessarily going to be a huge ransom to get him. And I think it'd be easier if you had assets like the Nuggets, who I just feel like they have a lot more kind of mid tier young assets that, you know, you could potentially give up two, and you wouldn't feel horrible about it. Um, so I think it's it's harder. Like the buck, the Nuggets definitely have better assets. I think to make a deal, um, but I don't know. I mean, are they are they willing to give up some of those pieces that they like that the Suns might actually be interested in, or you know, do they end up trying to pawn? I mean, like if it's what is it like Moutier and Kenneth Fareed have been mentioned. Like, yep. does do the Suns actually want that? Like Fareed's been stewing about like not starting in Denver. And then he's going to go to Phoenix and be <laughs> a bench guy on a youth movement team. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, there, I don't know if there's like a really obvious home run trade to make here. And you know, the Sun, as you mentioned, the Cavs have been mentioned because of the clutch sports connection with Rich Paul, LeBron's childhood friend, being also the agent for Eric Bledsoe. Um, but I don't know what the Cavs do for a deal either, unless you know it really comes down to a super late future first round pick from Cleveland and i don't know Chetty Osman or something plus expiring contracts i don't know it's just mm, yeah. it's just kind of hard to really figure out what what would another team would do and i know it's also kind of hard perhaps to to think of like a really home run deal from the bucks perspective unless um unless you know unless phoenix is just basically throwing in the towel and saying you know we're willing to just not take much back but I don't know what. Where do you kind of come at it? Maybe maybe I'd go a little less than twenty percent, just because twenty percent seems high. But um, but I don't know. What do you think? See, anytime we talk about a trade rumor or uh, the Bucks being involved in something, even if I do think that they were they were or are in like let's say the top five teams that could possibly make a deal, like this summer, like Kyrie Irving, I, I think they were probably in like the top five teams that could make a deal there. I just never really feel all that comfortable. Like my default, like highest is always like 10% just because trades are unlikely and the trades don't happen all that much. And just the odds in general would say you're not going to find a trade and, and you're not going to match up with whatever team. Cause, cause there are 29 other teams and or 28 other teams, I suppose, uh, that could trade for that guy. And you're, you're just, Ultimately, it's just unlikely that you're the team that gets picked out or you're the team that happens to have enough to make it happen. So 10 is normally where I want to go, but there's just so many things going against the Suns um, as far as having any sort of position to bargain for a better deal here that, yeah, like there's probably four, maybe, maybe there's a mystery team, a surprise team out there somewhere, but there's probably four or five teams and maybe there's a chance that they hold on, but I think it's probably an 85% chance, 90% chance that he gets traded before the deadline. So, yeah, I, I think around 20% feels about right. 
um, just because the Bucks, I think, would be kind of in the mix. I know Adrian Wojnarowski was on uh, NBA Countdown tonight as they got ready for their slate of action uh, on ESPN tonight, and he had mentioned that right now the Suns are are insistent that they get uh, a young asset from whoever it is uh, that they're trading for. And, well, the Bucks' young assets, um, I don't know if you can call DJ Wilson an asset. Um, I, I would assume the Suns probably don't view him as such. You can't call Rashad Vaughn an asset. You can't call Sterling Brown an asset. So young assets for the Bucks means Thon or Malcolm. And I just don't really see a world where the Bucks are going to include either of them in a Bledsoe trade. So to me, the question of whether or not the Bucks can get a deal done comes down to how low does the Suns' price go? And uh, I guess also in that situation, how desperate does Denver get? They've looked generally... <laughs> Like, shit thus far this year. They, Nikola Jokic had zero assists tonight. It, they they didn't they, they don't look particularly good. The offense doesn't look good. They look like, uh, listening to Adam Maris on Lockdown Nuggets, they look like they don't, instead of a team that's bringing back much of the same roster, they look like a team that doesn't really know each other. And and things will probably get better. Like, Paul Millsap will be better. I have Paul, Paul Millsap on my draft team tonight. He's awful. I think he had like eight points, five rebounds, and an assist. Like, that's not Paul Millsap. Like, at some point, he'll get it figured out. But um, maybe Denver panics a little bit. And like you said, Denver has some more of those intriguing young guys that maybe they're not intriguing because they're not that good. But also, that's a lottery ticket that you can take if you're the Phoenix Suns that maybe the Bucks don't can't offer uh, like I, I think you you would feel better about finding a, a diamond in the rough if you're taking on emmanuel moutier as opposed to taking on dj wilson like i i think those two uh prospect standings and their pedigree just aren't the same so um i guess 20 percent feels about right and again that feels high to me but at the same time uh low enough to reflect the fact that you know trades don't often happen with your team um, when you hear these rumors come out. Yeah, and so the one guy we haven't mentioned is the guy, we, and I forget who it was, somebody asked us if why we didn't talk about him yesterday, and we said, oh, we should talk about him today. And we, it's, again, we did not talk about him today as being a potential yeah. uh, you know, counterbalance in, in a trade going back to Phoenix, and that's Jabari Parker. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think for the most part we didn't talk about Jabari just because – He's just such a difficult asset to value, and I, I don't know. Again, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to give him up if I don't have to. Um, yep. And I think the interesting thing that you know we've heard talk that the Bucks have been interested, you know, at least somewhat in Bledsoe for for quite some time. But I do find it interesting to to kind of wonder if the Bucks kind of quick start Giannis kind of becoming just even more supernova Giannis than he was before. Um, and with Boston, you know, having the injury of Gordon Hayward and the South and the Cavs looking at least from a regular season perspective as vulnerable, more vulnerable than they did last year. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'd be kind of curious, especially, you know, among kind of ownership ranks and, and ultimately obviously John Horse and, and Jason Kidd as well. Um, has the ambition level changed? You know, we, we yeah. kind of talked about this last week that, I mean, again, I don't want to say like, oh, the Bucks need to kind of push in all their chips and go for it now because that's clearly not what they need to do. But there is a window, I think, to compete at a level in the East this year um, that they're 
probably wasn't, or at least we probably didn't think might be as open um, coming into the season because of the Hayward injury, because, um, you know, just everything going on in Cleveland and the injury to Isaiah and, um, and, and I don't know, just like a vacuum a bit, uh, just a bit of a vacuum in the East that uh, obviously we've, you know, people have talked about a lot. So I, I'm kind of curious, you know, and again, I don't think that should translate into giving up um, really good pieces for, for uh, Eric Bledsoe. Um, and I would include Jabari in that. Um, but I, I can understand why someone might say, well, you know, if I am concerned about Jabari's long-term future and I need to pay him next summer and that could, you know, be backbreaking in terms of my cap if I end up sinking a ton of money in Jabari and he, you know, either continues to have injury problems or he just never plays defense or, you know, kind of pick your pick your poison there. Um, you know, I could also see the, the perspective that, well, if I trade basically Jabari plus like a bad contract, yeah. that that might be actually solving some of my problems in this in terms of making my next summer less awkward. I don't have to figure out what to do with Jabari. I'm better this year because I get Bledsoe in his prime. and You still I, have a first-round pick. Yeah, but... I still have a first-round pick. So yeah. I can see some of the logic there. Um, but again, I, I think it all just sort of comes in. I don't know. I mean, I haven't asked you your opinion of this, but to me it just sort of comes down to you know, have you given up on Jabari or do you view him still as having sort of this like lottery ticket type potential? And, and I realize you know, he has flaws that he has to improve greatly on, even if he comes back from the injury. But, um, but, but again, I keep, I keep reminding people, think about what you can realistically get in free agency. Think about what you can realistically get via trade um, and given what it would cost you and, and how, you know, what you'd have to do to have, to get that done. And then think about, you know, Jabari, you, you have Jabari, you would have to pay him something, but, um, you know, consider the options. Right. And, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a slam dunk that, that, you know, there, there's better stuff out there than, than actually figuring out a way to keep Jabari, especially if he's, you know, not a crazy overpaid guy. Yeah. I think with Jabari, I guess part of the reason why I don't think we talked about him last night was because we mentioned the idea of like, don't give up too much. And I think that it's fine if you want to make the argument that maybe at this point Brogdon is a more valuable long-term piece than than Jabari Parker because of contract concerns, injury concerns, all of that. Like, okay, maybe that's fine. But at the same time, like he's still in that same kind of grouping as Thon Malcolm uh, or as Thon and Malcolm. Like, I just think adding him to a deal would be too much like him a contract and a first would be way too much and maybe even him and a contract is too much just because of uh, i think there still is for as many questions as we have about jabari parker and the future player that he'll become uh, i just think there's too much upside there that ceiling is too high uh to just kind of to give up on him and just say, okay, well, we're going to take the next two years of blood, so which could be very helpful, but at the same time could be gone in two years. And um, I know people will counter that with, well, do you really want three years or four years of Jabari Par- Parker at whatever contract he pays? Well, if it's a bad contract, no, I don't particularly want that. But I do think that we've seen the Bucks not sign him before the deadline, which would assume, or to me, I guess, would make me assume that Max is off the table. There's there's no Max happening. That I do think that the Bucks have some sort of general idea about 
his value and it's not it's not going to be a crazy overpay it it might be what some would say is an overpay but i don't think it's going to be an insane overpay so um i just think there's enough value there there's a high enough ceiling that i would not be uh i would not be willing to put him in a trade for eric bledsoe now if we talk about uh, a star to a greater degree than eric bledsoe yeah, I'm okay with trading Jabari Parker. Like, it's not a, a flat-out no for me on trading Jabari Parker. It's just, what am I getting? And two years of Eric Bledsoe? No, I don't think that's enough for me. Um, so yeah, if, if it's a second banana to Giannis, then yeah, I think you absolutely. Up, you, you're willing to get up Jabari, right? But, but Correct. But I'm, like, Bledsoe at best is third banana, maybe? Um, yeah. So, and, and yeah, and, and the fact that he's not, like, an ideal fit, Yep. With Giannis, given he's not a great shooter, um, that does make me kind of want to be more opportunistic, I'd say. Yeah, there's there's just too much there where I don't think giving up Jabari Parker to get him would be worthwhile. And um, yeah, like I said, I don't really move much off of my position or our position, I suppose, last night in saying that if you can get him for cheap, yeah, take him. <laughs> that, that's really going to help out your team, Eric Bledsoe is a good NBA player, maybe even a very good NBA player, but uh, to give up a lot would, would not be something that, that I would be all that interested in. So um, I think that's kind of, those were the two things we wanted to cover with Bledsoe. We good there? Yeah, I think we're good. Let's, let's talk about the Mecca game coming up. Um, as you mentioned, we've got a conversation that I had with, with John Corrales up here in a minute, but um, you were at the Mecca today and the Bucks were practicing and they were trying to get used to, I guess, the brightness of the court and Giannis is wearing a jacket. I, I, take me to the scene and, and I don't know, what were your impressions kind of checking out practice uh, at, uh, at the Mecca today with the Bucks? Man, it was, it was a strange feeling uh, because... You you kind of, you've heard the stories about the Mecca and kind of how you get into the Mecca and there's the the there's a big overhead door that you can walk down a, a little tunnel and then you're pretty much just right into the lower bowl and pretty much onto the court and uh, just as as you kind of as I walked down that ramp and took that right straight into the the lower bowl it was like whoa. <laughs> this is this is a trip man like you're seeing this this old court that's on the floor you're seeing this older building it's much smaller like uh, on the walls and stuff like there's still like the old the old-fashioned like clock with hands on it uh at like mid-court like up above and it's just like whoa like this is this is a trip and um i don't know it, it was just a, a really cool atmosphere um, I'm excited for anyone that was able to get tickets to it and kind of see it. I think it's going to be uh, really interesting and fun. But at the same time, like it's playing in an old crappy building. Like it was an old building when they originally played in it. Uh, if you if you saw Mar- Marcus Johnson talked with Jack Maloney from CBS Sports a little bit today, Marcus was talking about how like when he came to Milwaukee. No one was all that excited about the building, and it was part for the course. And maybe buildings were older at that time, uh, but the court was something that like kind of gave the the entire place a facelift. Like it made it look cooler, it made it look more exciting. Um, so it, it's an old building, and because of that, and because of an overhead door, I don't know, 
300 feet from the court yeah like it's cold <laughs> I, I was like legitimately cold in there uh so yeah by the by the time we got in uh obviously most of the players at this point uh are more than comfortable wearing like pants during practice or stuff like that but by the time i got in like dudes had jackets back on dudes had hoodies on uh they were doing anything that they could to stay warm and um you can see the interview now with Giannis uh with with him in his winter jacket um but yeah it, it was cold in there i would assume once you pack uh i don't even know how many thousand people it is 10,000 people um into there it'll it'll be a little bit warmer tomorrow night um but but it was just really interesting and then finally the court is a trip man you look at that thing there is not a single part of that court that looks like wood and that was the thing that tripped me out and i know talking with a, a couple of guys in the organization uh, they said like as players like got out there like they like walked on and were like kind of like quizzically like looking at it like what is this and they're like it's a wood cord it's just like like you always play on except it's painted and and they were just like question like what what is this and it's super bright like just walking on the floor today the colors are very bright it, it is uh, very overwhelming to the senses. Uh, so I'm curious if that'll affect how guys shoot at all. Um, obviously, uh, the Celtics will get in tomorrow for a shoot around. Uh, the Bucks will do shoot around there as well. Uh, but it's definitely different, um, which is uh, obviously the appeal of Robert Indiana's originally court, original courts. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really fun, exciting. Um, and I, I look forward to... I'm trying to think, is it a TNT game tomorrow night? Um, I think it is. I think I saw Kristen Ludlow tweet about coming to Milwaukee. Um, so I hope they get to do some cool stuff. They get to do some cool features, um, kind of about the history of the court and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I hope the TV production is really cool because I think everyone in the building will be treated to a really cool event. Yeah, indeed it is uh, on TNT, 7 o'clock Central Time. Uh, tomorrow night and uh yeah it's gonna be i mean i've watched games on like es you know nba tv from from that era uh typically either bucks celtics or bucks sixers yeah um so it'll be kind of funny to see them play uh a game in the modern era where uh but with with the throwback jersey so i'm, I'm excited to see what what uh, Giannis and company look like in throwback jerseys uh on uh on on the old court so it should be should be awesome and i am I'm I'm deeply jealous of uh, any of you guys who can make it out um, for this game. I was, you know, I was really hoping it would be a weekend game so I could fly back to Milwaukee for it. Um, then again, I also figured, you know, an event like this, you could obviously do it during the week and still sell it out. So mm-hmm. you know, from a business perspective, I can understand doing it uh, during the week. And I don't know, be, I, I haven't heard any reason why. I, I was surprised that it was going to be so early in the year. I figured it might kind of be some point more into the season a little bit, but, yep. um, you know, who knows, uh, obviously scheduling and all this other stuff, uh, comes it, ca- here. it kind of works out nice though. Like with the way Giannis has played in the first four games that you can get a chance, uh, obviously it happened in the first week, but you can get a, a second chance to kind of shine that, that national spotlight onto Giannis. Um, so, so I think that'll be really cool. Um, uh, I was going to say a couple, we got to talk to Giannis and Jason Kidd after Um, we talked with Giannis and he said he was going to do his best to be cream and get buckets, which was a fantastic line. Uh, And then 
Matt Velasquez and I had been workshopping a bit, um, and I, I was able to ask Jason the question that I know his team has a bunch of uh, guys that like to joke around on it, some youngsters. Uh, did any of them ask him if he played in the Mecca? Um, which I think for the first time ever, we got Jason Kidd to laugh because uh, he, he laughed at that question. Uh, he's like, oh, no, no. It's like, he's like, I hope, I hope they would understand I'm not quite quite that old um but that was that was kind of a a fun thing and like i said it should be a fun night should definitely be fun uh what is the state of your uh throwback 70s vintage reporter outfit no none i've figured out nothing frank all right i think i I I offered you a hundred dollars or something like that like months ago to to get you did stop in you did with with like the the hat and the press credential tucked in the hat whole thing so um you gotta like swing by goodwill or something tomorrow because there's a there's a significant financial incentive for you to do so but uh i, I don't know i'm gonna be disappointed if uh, if i don't see some 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 pics some some black and white pictures of uh mm, of yeah. you uh out there but uh I, I, that's actually a funny question i'm not i imagine fans are not gonna be used i hope there's at least some fans who dress up like fans from the 70s or something like that mm, yeah i don't know hopefully some good throwback gear uh, will be worn tomorrow night because uh, if ever there was a reason to do so, I know there's a lot of people <laughs> excited about it. So um, we will see. And uh, actually, we should. Um, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm gonna just go on SeatGeek real quick and just see what what tickets are going for. Because um, I think if you're in Milwaukee, you should be trying to get to this basketball game. And um, I'm curious. I'm very curious. What? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. So I'm looking at. Um, looking at just games right and bucks at celtics from 57 dollars, so cheapest tickets are 57 bucks the next game um tuesday uh oklahoma city in milwaukee from 19 bucks so <laughs> much much cheaper the the celtics bucks tickets are are nowhere close to as cheap as uh, as some of the other upcoming games even though um, you know from a fan perspective uh certainly it's funny it's funny just looking at the seating chart for this game it's like so different from it's like such a so much more of a block like blocks just around and seeing the pictures today like just not having an upper bowl was just kind of like jarring you know it's just like goes straight up right it was fun i was talking it was funny because i was talking to some of the guys in bucks pr uh and they're like oh uh yeah we're just trying to figure out like exactly where we're gonna put you like there's gonna be a couple media sections and they're like well one will be here and then one will be here and they're like oh and then some some of the people will have to go like all the way up top and i was like all the way up top like those are better seats than we would get if we were up top of the first level at the bradley center like that's totally fine. Put me up there. Like, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> like dead center, like in the middle. Like it's, it's quaint, man. It's going to be, uh, it'll, it'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And there, I, I'm seeing some green dots, Frank, uh, as I look here on SeatGeek, uh, you're going to be, there's a chance to be like super close to NBA action. That was, that was really the one takeaway I had today while I was there. Like, even if you're like, just in the building is essentially being on the first floor of the Bradley center. So if you, even if you are seen from what's the cheapest on here, like 55 right now, um, that's, that's still, you're, you're on the lower level of the Bradley center. Um, so it should be, like I said, it's going to be fun. It's going to be quaint. Hopefully it's packed and crazy loud because it's so small. Um, but yeah, it should be, it should be a good time. Nice. All right. Well, um, 
why don't we stop it there? I'll tee up here uh, the conversation I had with John Corrales. Um, again, John is uh, one of the founders of uh, RedsArmy.com, great Celtics site for a long time. I met John years ago at Summer League, and uh, he, now he uh, is uh, is one of the co-hosts of Locked On Celtics, so he's all in the family. And, uh, yeah, we had just kind of a fun conversation. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like he asked me some questions, I asked him some questions. We did a little bit of that, but, I don't know, it just ended up being kind of a conversation <laughs> about, you know, where – our, our respective teams kind of fall in, in the East and expectations and obviously talk of Giannis and John is of Greek descent. So he said he is, you know, well, I don't know, not really secretly since he's telling me this on a podcast that thousands of people are listening to, <laughs> but, uh, but that he does root for Giannis. He does like Giannis. So he doesn't, uh, maybe doesn't want him to go totally crazy tomorrow night, but, um, but it was a fun conversation. Interesting to kind of get the Celtics view of not just the Bucks, but, but obviously the Celtics young players and kind of, how things are, are changing for them. So um, with that, this has been Locked on Bucks, right, Eric? I guess this is our sign-off for, for, for this conversation. So I mean, for me, I'll sign yeah, off. Yeah, you're out. You still have another conversation. Yeah, you're I'm done. Out. You're done. Eric's, Eric's done. We'll talk to Eric after the game uh, Thursday night. But, um, yeah, check out uh, Wait Up here for, for John and, and my conversation, and uh, hopefully you'll learn something. It's kind of long, so, uh, again, extra long episode today, but whatever, you're used to that from us. So um, thanks a lot for listening. Enjoy the game on Thursday night. Hopefully we'll have uh, good things to talk about afterwards. Uh, all right, Frank. Uh, so we've done this once already before this season. So Celtics, Bucks, the return, the revenge game. Uh, what are we going to do about Giannis? <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been I've been thinking about if I was another team, uh, which thankfully I, I am I'm not having to view it from that perspective. <laughs> but uh, if, if I were an opposing coach. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of the tendency is to try to put, you know, more mobile kind of, you know, three, four combo forward type guys on, on Giannis and, you know, guys who have a little bit more foot speed, at least that can at least stay in front of him from the perimeter. But, um, you know, especially this year, he has become such a load in terms of his ability to catch the ball, get into the paint and just pound guys or, you know, like we saw against Portland over the weekend, you know, Evan Turner tried to just sit back basically and, and play off him and try to dare him to shoot. And it's like, well, then you just let him get a running start. And with those long strides, you know, if he gets, if he gets his shoulder, even with you, he he's just too long and big and strong for, for most little guys to have any, any kind of chance. So it's tough, but you know, I think, I think playing like a little bit bigger guy might be worth a shot to be honest, just because we haven't seen anything else really work. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they tried to put, you know, if like the, a team like the Celtics, for instance, like if you tried to put Al Horford on him because he's done so much damage, kind of basically walking into post-ups and then, you know, face-ups, kind of those those type of actions from 15 feet out. You know, Al had a couple plays where he really challenged Giannis. I think he blocked him at least once in the first game. Um, you know, used at least Al having, you know, big man length at least made things a little bit uncomfortable for, for Giannis around the basket. So I, I don't know, maybe that might be an option. And, and obviously, you know, the, the normal caveats about, well, you know, get everybody back on defense and set up a wall and all that other stuff. I mean, you know, easy to say, but, but more difficult to put into <laughs> practice. So, I, I mean, again, it, I don't know if there's an easy solution because again, if you just give him room and try to dare him to shoot jump shots, um, the bucks are trying to put, you know, shooters around him, uh, all the time now. So again, if you try to send those extra bodies, Giannis is getting better and better at, 
at finding those open shooters. And uh, again, the Rocket or the Bucks are, are not, you know, the Rockets or, or the Warriors in terms of, you know, having shooters around Giannis, but, you know, they can at least put enough guys out there to, to make you pay. And, and certainly in that first game, we saw that with Matthew Del Vadova hitting a big shot when uh, Giannis felt some pressure coming uh, late in the game. So um, I don't know if there's an easy solution, but, you know, trying different things and, and yeah, maybe, maybe going a little bit bigger is, is one way to do it. You know, just trying to put more bodies between him and the basket. But um, as we've seen so far, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, see, now, I I love Giannis, not just because I've got the Greek flag on my, my Twitter account and, you know, we get to claim like this awesome player and say, yay, we're I've got his Greek basketball jersey. It's like the one jersey that I can have that's not a Celtics jersey. I can be like, all right, it's cool, you know. And Milwaukee has generally been like benign. Like who hates Milwaukee? Yeah, you, can't, you can't hate like, us. Nobody, box, right? Yeah. You can't. Right. I mean, everybody like Milwaukee's just a very benign team. There's just whatever. Now, of course, now that you're going to be good, people are going to start hating you because you're like you're going to start winning a lot. But Giannis has been the safe. I haven't tweeted it out. Like, please, everybody leave Giannis alone. Like and people got back to me with like Tim Duncan. Like we, we've already done this once. Like, Give him the Duncan treatment. Like I, he's such a good kid. Like I just. Leave him alone. I want to see a pure, unadulterated superstar, just lovable career out of him. My only problem is that the Celtics have built this team that has been – I mean, I obviously can't speak for Danny Ainge, but we've all who follow the team say, you know, waiting out Cleveland, waiting out Cleveland, waiting out Cleveland. And now Giannis is doing this. We're like, whoa, no, bullshit. We're yeah, – that, that's not supposed to be happening over there yet. Like you're not supposed to be making this leap, but I mean, from, from your perspective, because this actually, I think would shed some light. We hope on what we hope Jason Tatum will become what we hope Jalen Brown will become. You know, we're all tantalized by the first four games of the season. Like who these guys are pretty good watching a guy like Giannis who went 15th in the draft progress over the years and now become this i mean for lack of a better term i can't come up with a better question than how does it feel <laughs> talk to me about um yeah <laughs> yeah you know, and, and honestly it, it was funny because you know looking at at jalen and jason i can't help but think a little bit back to a couple years ago when um, you know, Jabari and Giannis were kind of in a similar situation where they were, you know, in that they're, they're, you know, they're basically the same age. So, you know, 19 and then 20 years old. And, and obviously Jabari's had, unfortunately, these big injury disruptions to, to his career so far. But, um, you know, when those guys were healthy and especially before Giannis kind of really took his big leap, probably in, um, you know, really the, the spring of, I guess it was, uh, 2016, I guess, uh, after the all-star break, he really kind of broke through and the whole point Giannis thing started and he put up, I think like 18, nine or 19, nine, seven, like two blocks, two seals, you know, just sort of started to doing the stat stuffing thing. And Jabari averaged 19 a game kind of really found himself after coming back from the ACL injury. And so there was sort of this general sense of like, wow, these guys are both like figuring it out. And, you know, Middleton was also kind of doing similar stuff at the time. So if I'm like, okay, this is kind of the core. And so it, it's been, I mean, having the one superstar guy who you feel like is, you know, going to be an MVP candidate for, you know, pick your pick your time, you know, period of time, right? Like, you know, the next seven, eight, ten years, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, is is incredible, right? Especially in Milwaukee, where 
you know, I've been a fan of this team. I moved to Wisconsin in 1989 when I was eight. And um, I guess I've just been bad luck because basically immediately thereafter, the team just, you know, has been irrelevant and had gone past the first round of the playoffs once and, you know, won 50 games once in, you know, over 25 years. So having a guy that's like a centerpiece that is, you know, in the conversation for, okay, this guy can be the best player in the league. This guy, you know, could be the guy that, you know, a GM, any GM would want to start a team with. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And, and also just like the kind of kid he is, you know, like what, what you're saying, I mean, you have to love him as a person. Like we've seen him in Milwaukee kind of grow up and um, go from this kind of wide eyed kid to, you know, uh, a man who is still, you know, has like, it's fun loving and, and all that, but he's very serious about his craft and um, you know, he, he deserves it, right? Like he's put in all the work. He's got incredible God given talents, but he's put in the work as well. And you kind of expect him to continue to do that. So it, you just feel great as a fan just to finally have somebody like that and finally have, like somebody you can legitimately kind of pin your hopes on to maybe take this team to something approximating a championship contending level. But um, certainly there's still a lot of work to do and, and, you know, they're going to need either a lot of internal improvement from other guys or some way of adding another star or two um, to, you know, feel like you can compete with certainly what golden state is now. But, you know, like you're saying, you guys were obviously, obviously been kind of positioning yourself to compete long-term, you know, even after LeBron leaves the East, um, you know, I think certainly the Bucks are, they're kind of at the inverse, I guess, you know what I say? And I'd, I'd be interested to see your view of this because, you know, you look at Kyrie and, and, and Gordon, um, those two guys, you, you know, you know can be second and third all-stars on a super team, like incredible team, right? Um, what the Celtics don't have is like a Giannis type guy, right? Who's going to be that like two-way, just completely dominant type guy. Um, and the Bucks are in the opposite boat right like they've got Giannis but they don't have two other guys right now especially with with Jabari being just a huge question mark I mean there's no other you know two guys you'd say oh those guys can definitely be all-stars or you know give you a Kyrie level performance in the playoffs like I mean there's nobody else like that on on the Bucks. so, so I don't know it's it's all kind of like honeymoon for us right now because like we were just hoping to get good this year um and we're kind of wary of that but um but I don't know I mean it's like this year if they don't win a playoff series it's going to be disappointing so it's it's interesting I mean expectations are finally here and that's kind of uncharted territory for the Bucks. Uh, all I got out of that is it sounds like you just want to give us Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> and we'll be fine. So thanks. If we could That's... pool, if we could just pool our resources, the Eastern conference might actually win the championship in the next few years. <laughs> That's all I took out of that. Mm. It sounded like you wanted to give us the Giannis. green team. Just make one green team, right? One green team. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. Um, <laughs> it's funny because you look at, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned Jabari Parker, and I, I remember the the Parker Wiggins draft where people were just like, "Which one? Who do you pick? Who do you?" And people were, I remember the, the tanking that year and and, and all of that stuff. And it's unfortunate that Parker has gotten hurt because he has so much promise, but you forget that Parker was supposed to be the star, like he was the guy, and and Tentacumpo was supposed to be the secondary guy, right. and now they flipped. Um, which is, is just kind of interesting to see how you guys are going to put that together. The Bucks are super, super interesting to me because of, first of all, you, you lucked into the superstar. I mean, you really did. It was, it was luck. There, he went 15th in the draft. 14 other teams passed on him. And that was the Anthony Bennett year. So he, if, if you redrafted that, he's on the Cavs. So, the 
I, I don't know. Like when you get a superstar in the draft, you usually you're usually picking one, two, three. Like when when the Celtics picked Tatum, you're just thinking like, all right, here we go. Like and they even traded down for him. But you when you pick that guy, you're like, I'm expecting a guy that's going to be a key piece to a future championship. And just the expectations are so different or were so different in Milwaukee when when you drafted Giannis and and now here you go. It's like boom, you know, four years in, okay. I guess he's our guy now, and, and you figure out who you're going to build around. I will say this. I'm very happy to have listened to your podcast and have you guys, for once, be the ones talking about trade rumors whenever some guy's <laughs> name comes up. Because for the past few years, it's been Boston, Boston. But like Boston's finally not involved in stupid bullshit Eric Bledsoe trade rumors. Like There's some cursory, like, should we? And then it was immediately shot down, and no one's really bringing it up again. And it was just kind of funny to listen to you guys spend like half an hour trying to figure out, like, could we? What about this guy? Well, not this guy. I'm not ready to give up on Thon Maker yet. So, I don't know. It's, it's, I find I just find Milwaukee's situation unique. So, first of all, there's no you're not really going to trade for for Bledsoe. I, I don't see Milwaukee doing what it would take to get Bledsoe. Yeah, I mean, I think the question is what what is the asking price that's actually that that it will ultimately be enough for Eric Bledsoe, right? And my, my view is if you know it's going to be a discount like we saw Paul George ultimately go for, or um, you know even like Carmelo, right? And obviously, I'd say um, Carmelo is a more polarizing guy than even Bledsoe, um, but. You know, if there's a way, and, and this is the thing I find so fascinating, especially with Bledsoe being sent home and, you know, chaos sort of reigning in in uh, the desert. I mean, what is the best offer they're going to get for Eric Bledsoe? Who, I mean, when was the last time Eric Bledsoe was in a situation where he was actually being asked to play at a high level? You know, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy when you think just the way that the last season was basically lost because they just didn't want him to play, which is why I don't really blame him for being disinterested in that franchise and they've seemed to have a track record of, you know, just kind of being uh, disillusioned with guys or guys being disillusioned with them on the way out. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, my view is like, if there, if you can get that bargain deal and, and maybe in this case, it's a first round pick and, you know, basically some, some salaries, but none of their kind of what I would say kind of core ish guys, which obviously would be like Giannis, Jabari, Chris Middleton, uh, Chris Middleton would be second, by the way, ahead of Jabari at this point. But um, you know, Giannis, Jabari, Chris, Brogdon, Thon—probably um, that's it, really. I mean, it, it, the the Bucks are a little weird because they've have sort of their their starting five plus Jabari. I mean, Snell obviously you, you would move, but not that he has some some huge value. Um, but other than that, they don't have really kind of like peripheral pieces that like you you could tolerate moving, but but that would definitely have value. Like, I mean, Phoenix doesn't want DJ Wilson to add to their you know. <laughs> rando power forwards you know so it's kind of hard like to make i think something work on paper so i think it's like i would just view it from perspective of like hey give them a first round pick plus salary filler and you know unfortunately the bucks have enough bad salary on their books that it would probably cause a bit of a strain next summer um as far as like what's going to happen with Jabari, which is a huge question mark and, and kind of keeping this franchise, this roster together. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I view is like, just be opportunistic because again, like at some point, I know I, I don't think the bucks win a title, just kind of putting it in cruise control from here on out and just expecting Giannis 
to drag them to the promised land, right? I think they're going to need something good to happen beyond, you know, Jabari getting healthy or whatever it might be. So, um, so I think that's the sort of mindset I would take, not just to, to Bledsoe, but to other deals as well. Like just, you know, yeah. go fishing and, and see maybe, you know, circumstances align themselves. I mean, what is, is Denver going to give up a bunch for, for Eric Bledsoe? I mean, is Eric, is, is Emmanuel Moutier actually worth very much at this point? Is that better than a mid first round pick? I don't even know. I mean, maybe there's somebody who feels that way, but um, so, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not like I would, I'm, I'm definitely not saying I'll bet the farm to get Eric Bledsoe. His, <laughs> his fit isn't like perfect by any stretch. I would much rather have kind of a gunner shooter type guy at the point than Bledsoe. who's obviously much more of a, you know, driver and kind of just, you know, I don't even know. There's a little bowling ball athlete type type point guard. But uh, again, at some point, the Bucks have to get better. <laughs> they have to add more talent. And, um, you know, the, you just look at certainly teams like the Celtics and obviously for the moment, the the Cavs. And it, it is interesting, too, though, because, you know, Bledsoe having two years left on his deal. Normally, I, you know, before the season, I would have said, well, I don't know if that aligns that well with the Bucks window. But I, I don't know. Opening night happens. And, you know, I I put it to you how you guys are kind of viewing this because, you know, watching opening night, watching the Cavs kind of, you know, mope around with Dwayne Wade and Derek Rose starting and Isaiah being months away from coming back and who knows what he's going to look like. And, um, you know, all the questions around the Cavs and their ability to motivate themselves and play any defense whatsoever during the regular season. And then you add on to it that the Celtics, who are the team that actually, you know, beat them to the East regular season, um, you know, crown last year you know, goes out and, and you guys obviously lost Gordon Hayward on, on opening night and are going to have to be, you know, playing some pretty young guys. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, part of me was kind of thinking like, Jesus, like if the Bucks, if this Giannis thing continues as it has and, you know, the Bucks can get, you know, some of the supporting pieces to really mesh well and they actually can play a little bit of defense. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to win the East this year, but I think they at least have a much better window for being in that mix in the next year or two, then, then I might've previously thought. So, you know, maybe then you do get a little more aggressive trying to add a guy who's, who's maybe a short-term piece, but, but I don't know. I mean, what, what about you guys? I mean, you obviously expected to maybe not win a title this year, but at least compete in the East for, you know, certainly a conference final spot, maybe a chance to go to the finals. I mean, how does this sort of change, I guess, the expectation setting and, and kind of where you guys kind of view this year versus next year versus the year after? Well, uh, I think the initial reaction is you know you you see gordon hayward go down right away and initially you say well season's over yeah. like that's it uh but you don't it's the east you know, <laughs> right it's east At six minutes into any season you can't say anything is over really unless maybe you're the knicks but you don't really have a full understanding of who you have on the team and six minutes into the season we had no idea that jason tatum and Jalen Brown, we're going to take these strides already that Jalen Brown especially has been kind of a revelation. Like he's, he has taken a lot of the stuff that he's done over the summer when he was in Vegas, he was just driving relentlessly into triple teams. Like even when you say, why is he doing this? He looks terrible doing this. He's turning the ball over, but I compare it to, you know, spring training baseball where a pitcher might be working on his curveball and he's throwing the curveball over and over again in, in non-curveball situations and maybe giving up a home run here and there. And you're like, God, he looks terrible. He's giving up all these home runs, but he's not playing the way he's playing. He's working on a certain skill. Now, he he's kind of started to put a little bit together. Against the Knicks, Jalen was finishing a lot better than he has been. 
that's the one knock that I've had is that he's getting to the rim but not finishing. But it's also the Knicks, so you never know when that's going to – is he going to get to the rim and finish against the Bucks? I don't know. But you didn't know that he was going to do what he did. You didn't know that Jason Tatum was going to take the summer league stuff and build on that and actually do like non-rookie things on the floor. So there's two players there that are doing things above and beyond what we thought. So when you look at the East, I, I, I see Cleveland still going to be what Cleveland was last year. That they're going to coast. They're not going to. They're not going to really kick it into gear. They're they're going to be a two seed, maybe maybe even a three. For all we know, I think Washington is super super motivated, and I think they're probably going to be what the Celtics were last year, and they're going to go balls to the wall, and they're going to get the top seed. Then after that, it's kind of open. Like, is Toronto going to put it together? Is that Serge Ibaka fit going to really work? How is that all going to? How are they going to progress? How are the Bucks going to come together? How are the Celtics without Hayward? Are they going to keep doing this? Are they going to figure it out? Look, we haven't had Morris yet for the Celtics. Marcus Smart only played basically a game and a half because he rolled both ankles in that Bucks game. So are the Celtics going to be able to make up for the loss of Hayward and, and still kind of roll along and and challenge for that, you know, 50 low to mid 50 win total? You would say no without Hayward, but you never know if other guys are going to step up and make up for his, his lost production. So it's just so early to, to, to say where we think the Celtics are going to, to finish because there's just so much out there that hasn't shaken out. Like, what are the Pistons going to be? Like, are they – they shouldn't be good, but, you know, they just got Avery Bradley. Is he going to be giving them a boost? You know, who's what are the, what are the Hornets going to end up being? How good will Philly – end up being are they going to make some stupid run is Embiid going to stay healthy is Simmons going to stay healthy and do what he does so so many question marks that it's hard for me to pin where the Celtics will end up my best guess would say fighting for home court that fourth seed with either Milwaukee or Toronto and and just kind of go from there right now that's kind of where I would project them out like I said Washington probably first Cleveland probably second and then us, you, and Toronto kind of however the season progresses and whoever stays the healthiest and who gels better than others, that, that's how it's going to kind of shake out. It feels like to me. Yeah, I was, one thing I found so interesting heading into the season, you know, I was trying to look at, at the, the, the cluster, right? And we talk obviously about the top four coming into the season in the East. Uh, the teams you mentioned, the Bucks, I felt like were, were kind of that like fifth team probably. You know, I mean, I could see them being a home court team coming into the year, but I didn't think, you know, it wasn't something I would bet on, you know, I felt like, okay, they're like, you know, in a tier by themselves kind of at five. And then there's like that cluster of question marks, you know, in sort of six through 10 or something like that, let's say. Um, and one of the things I found interesting was, you know, I think I was looking at basketball reference. I, I don't think, so there wasn't any, none of those teams were top 10 defensively last year. Like all of them had at least phases where, you know, had major question marks defensively Cleveland, maybe the kind of, you know, most notoriously, because obviously they had, they were the presumptive Eastern conference, you know, 
team to come out to have to play the Warriors. So they were kind of under that different microscope. Um, the Celtics, obviously, at, at earlier parts of Brad Stevens' tenure, have had a very good defense. Um, last year, maybe not up to, to where they wanted to be. Um, and, you know, I was just looking, obviously, this is like super low sample size. Uh, you know, coming into this game, um, Bucks are another team that has been bad defensively and a lot of question marks around Jason Kidd's sort of schematic preferences and the, the aggressiveness they have. And, you know, they're still struggling to kind of figure themselves out and, and play at a higher level of defense. Um, I mean, again, early, very early, but Boston is a top 10 defense right now. Um, I, I'm very curious to see kind of where you guys end up. Obviously, Marcus Morris has been hurt. You know, he's another guy that figures to give um, some potentially good minutes, some defensive versatility at the forward spots, especially because you got two very young guys there right now. Um, I mean, I, I've only watched a little bit of obviously Tatum and, and Brown this year. I think Tatum's impressed me just because the fact that he's like actually getting rebounds and blocking some shots. Those were things I wasn't sure about. You know, you see like kind of a lot of these guys who are sort of in his, you know, kind of combo forward size who they get to the pros, especially given that he doesn't have a ton on his frame right now. And they kind of struggle with that stuff. So that seems like kind of a positive thing. But, um, you know, defensively, you know, obviously we know what Marcus Smart can do. Question mark is whether he'll be ready, I guess, to play on Thursday against the Bucks. But, um, where do you kind of see this team grading out? I mean, it, you know, we always, people always talk about, obviously the Brad Stevens offense and coming into the season, obviously everybody talked about Kyrie and, you know, he's had a bit of a slow start obviously and, and kind of how Brad Stevens would maybe unlock him a little bit. But, you know, when you view this team and, and obviously a lot of question marks, how this is going to play out over the rest of the season. But uh, I mean, is this a team that you look at and say, this is going to be uh, still an offensively focused team and defensively they might have to just sort of get by and, and maybe be average. Or are you seeing things that would suggest that this can actually be a, a very good defense and um, this team maybe actually gets by possibly as, as much or more on defense and offense? Well, you know, before the season started, I would have said that it's going to be offensive heavy and defense kind of shaky, Yeah, but and and that may still be how it pans out because we're we're in currently in uh, small sample size right, theater. Exactly. So we don't know exactly how everything's going to finish because the Celtics have played Philly and New York as well as Milwaukee and Cleveland. So obviously Milwaukee we gave up 108 points. Cleveland we gave up 102. Funny when you play the Sixers and Knicks you give up 92 and 89. So. <laughs> All of a sudden, the the Celtics' defensive rating has them right now, after four games, seventh in the league. But that, how sustainable is that really? Well, you look at what the Celtics have done defensively. There are a couple of things stand out. They've they've done generally okay against opposing bigs. Again, we played Philly against Embiid, and the, Embiid had a terrible game. Porzingis had a terrible game, but. Small sample size. Is it because Embiid is just surrounded by not great players that, or players who aren't fully sure of themselves yet? They're not great yet. That the Knicks are not surrounded by very good players. The Porzingis is not surrounded by very good players. So you feel good double and triple teaming a guy like Embiid or Porzingis, and just whatever happens, happens. You can live with the results. What happens when you play San Antonio? They're you know coming up or. I don't know, New Orleans even with, with all of their size. So yet to be determined, but they've done good they've done good jobs on the opposing team's bigs. And Tatum and Brown have been just much better than expected defensively. They're forcing live ball turnovers and getting out into transition. So that's something that I certainly didn't expect. 
you know, uh, you lose Crowder and you lose Avery Bradley and you say, Jesus, our defense is going to take a huge, huge hit. But I'm not saying Jalen Brown has, has made up for the loss, but you know, the, it's not as big a sting, I guess, the way he's defending. He's defending really, really well, and he's forced a couple of steals, and he's gotten himself out there in, in transition. Tatum has gotten his, his hands on in passing lanes and stripped a couple of guys and blocked a couple of shots. He, he's His awareness on defense is, is surprising, so maybe they might be a little bit better than I thought defensively. Now, without Hayward, they lose a monster floor spacer. Because I, I've seen plays in the preseason where they just put Hayward in a corner and run this action from the top of the key that forces a defender to just stay in his jock. And now they've got two-thirds of the floor to play a four-on-four game and all kinds of options open up there. And eventually, somebody's going to get over-anxious and you can still spring Hayward at the end. That guy doesn't exist now. So there's no knockdown, catch-and-shoot, you know, super crazy offensive threat Unless you start playing Kyrie Irving off the ball, which they've done a lot more, and that's kind of like been their adjustment. So their offense is still not fluid, and you can see in the after four games, they're in the middle of the pack, 16th out of 30. So I feel better about their offense improving moving forward than their defense staying where it is. So I still think that their offense is going to be where they win more of their games. But they are better than I thought defensively. And and let's look at uh, our two teams, that Milwaukee game. That was uh, an opportunity the Celtics kind of blew, that the Celtics had a chance. They had the lead, and they got outscored by 12 in the fourth quarter. Would that have been different had we had Marcus Morris? You know, you put Morris on Giannis, do, do things change at least a tiny bit, a little bit? Enough for the Celtics to, to stop a run rather than let it continue. Unfortunately, we don't know the answer because we're going to play you guys twice without a, a key perimeter guy and a guy that we would probably have on Giannis a lot. Yeah, and I'm curious if, if Smart is ready to go tomorrow as well just because, or, or tonight when people hear this, um, because he was certainly, he shot really poorly. Uh, I think he missed a bunch of free throws, but he was... I mean, it's amazing. I, I, it was kind of similar, I think, on opening night against Cleveland where he um, took Kyle Korver down in the post and just kind of ran him ragged on a few straight possessions and, you, you know, ends up drawing all this this attention as a post-up, you know, 6-4 point guard, combo guard type guy, which obviously is just sort of a weird thing that teams aren't used to seeing. And, you know, especially the Bucks, who are notoriously over-aggressive in doubling the post. I mean, Smart was, you know causing all sorts of havoc by, by just drawing attention, even though he didn't shoot particularly well um, in the post. And, and obviously we know what he can do defensively. So I'm curious kind of what happens there. And, you know, the guy that I was really impressed by in the opener, I mean, Kyrie Irving was probably the worst point guard who played in, in that first game between these two teams. You know, Brogdon played well. Delhi played actually pretty respectably. Um, and Terry Rozier looked great. And I'm, I'm just looking at the numbers 
And it looks like, you know, again, that maybe that's not a fluke. He's putting up really nice numbers, shooting the ball well from three. Um, you know, he's obviously been, as a, an opposing fan, uh, it's always been a little bit like a Twitter joke about, you know, Danny Ainge not being able <laughs> to, to trade Terry Rozier for, you know, Anthony Davis straight up or something. Um, but, you know, looking at kind of the way he plays and what he can do as a scoring guard, um, and, and he's distributing as well, a, a bit as well. So, I mean, it's not like I want to pigeonhole him, hold him into just a score. But um, it, it, do you think that's for real? I mean, he's shown, obviously, flashes of this in the past. I, I mean, I'm I'm a little jealous, to be honest, because I think uh, a lot of Bucks fans would love to have a guy off the bench um, who can who can actually create his own shot a little bit and score. And, you know, one of the things you guys complain about is is Malcolm Brogdon and Matthew Delvadova and, and them having these you know, revolutionary war muskets uh, of shots that take forever to load up. And, you know, if it's like 24 and a half feet, they're going to front rim it every time. If it's like 23 feet, 10 inches, they can make them. Um, and, and I don't know, but Rozier looks like he, I, I, I mean, is this, is this a breakout year for Terry Rozier? Do you think, are you surprised by what you've seen from him? Or I don't know. Am I, was it just a random, <laughs> randomly good game that I saw from him when they played the Bucks the first time? No, it's it's not been random. He's had a a pretty good season so far. I mean, all of his numbers across the board by any measure, he's having a much much better season than than you would expect. On top of averaging 11 and a half points, which is basically double what he averaged last year, he is playing more consistently. And we've seen the slow progression with Rozier that, you know, his rookie season was a typical rookie season was not great. His his season last year was up and down to say the least. He had a great preseason last year, and his postseason last year was really nice. He he had a, a, a really nice playoff run when the Celtics really needed him with Isaiah out. So all of a sudden in his play in the playoffs, he averaged twelve and a half points a game and he stepped up his shooting, he stepped up his production across the board. He's always been a really good rebounding guard. He's been a surprisingly good rebounding guard, and he, he puts up tremendous rebounding numbers for a guy who's 6'2". But it's, it's a little shocking when you look at it. But he's averaging about six rebounds a game. And so it's after the, after the postseason that he had and the preseason that he had this year, we were kind of wondering out loud, like, is Terry ready to do this? And the one thing that I said here on the show, and and Jay and Sam agree with me, is I got to I got to see it from him. Like, it looks good. The preseason looked good. The everything that we saw coming into this looked good. And we're like, I'm not ready to believe in him yet. But now here he is after four games. Everything his his shooting is is phenomenal i mean i'm looking at his statistics right here his his true shooting percentage last year 46 6 this seven this year 57 6 you know his assist rate has gone up seven points his steal rate has doubled his and his usage has stayed the same so all of these things across the board he's he's so far really really stepping up now when smart gets healthy and Morris gets healthy, what ends up happening is now the minutes that Shane Larkin is getting and those other guys, Abdel Nader, those, those minutes go away and those minutes go to Rozier. And, and suddenly that, that end of the bench starts feeling a little bit better than it, it, it seemed going in. So yeah, I would say that the early returns on Rozier say 
this could be a potential breakout year for him. And uh, good timing, too, because we, we really kind of need a guy like that, a guy in the perimeter to, to break out. I mean, that would be really two breakout seasons between Rozier and Jalen Brown, who after, you know, it's his second year in the league. But if this kid can come in all of a sudden start averaging 20 or close to 20 a game, that's amazing. So things that we didn't expect but are really nice uh, happening right now, I guess. Yeah, um, and, and, huh. and funny, you know, you mentioned the rebounding Terry Rozier. He, he had a higher defensive rebound rate, uh, not by a lot, but but he did over Thon Maker last year. So he's, <laughs> Thon's, got, Thon's got, I think, 11 inches on Terry yeah. Rozier. Um, but, Twice. Uh, yeah, and, and Terry Rozier has a much better defensive rebound rate this year than Thon so far, who's had a slow start. So, um, so yeah, he's an intriguing player. And, um, again, th- that's sort of, I think, one of the, the challenges for the Bucks right now is, is you know, you feel pretty good about how some of the kind of key pieces fit together. You know, the starting five, I think, complements itself well. I mean, I think we're still waiting to see if Thon can make kind of a more steady, you know, more clear progression from where he was last year. I'm I'm not... I've never been a guy who's viewed Don as like a really big upside guy. I view him more as kind of a high floor motor character, you know, fits well because he can stretch the floor as a big and, and also, you know, defend pick, pick and rolls and switch and do stuff like that. But um, that's kind of a big question, you know, is can, can Thon kind of make clear steps this year? Can Brogdon obviously continue to improve from where he was a year ago, even though he's an older, um, an older kind of young player, let's say um, relative to, to his draft year. And, you know, that's sort of one of these things like, can the Bucks find, you know, a guy like that can a Sterling Brown who hasn't really played much yet. Can, can somebody step into maybe not doing exactly what Rozier is doing, but you know, even if it's not this year, next year, can, can, you know, some of these guys who are really cheap, like DJ Wilson, right? Like what, what's his role going to be? Um, can any of these guys sort of step into roles and not that anybody's expecting them to be Jason Tatum or, or Jalen Brown, but you know, can they be at least one of these kind of complimentary pieces that, you know, clearly, um, well, you know, and, and, and I have to admit on opening night when I saw, you know, uh, Semi Ojale and and Daniel Tice and Shane Larkin and um, you know uh, Nader and all these guys kind of getting minutes. My first thought was like, wow, Celtics. <laughs> Once the Celtics <laughs> lose a couple guys, like the, the the lack of depth is you know there there's definitely not a, a ton of depth right right now, um, and obviously a lot of young guys. But um, certainly like yeah, I think what you're you're talking about Jason and, and Jalen. I mean that's it seems like that's really the the upside for this season, right? Even if the the best case scenario is you know uh going to the east finals and getting blown out by the Cavs or the wizards or something like that maybe just because there is enough depth this year um if you can win a, i mean that's the thing right the bucks i mean winning a playoff series would be massive in milwaukee right um that's something that hasn't happened and obviously that, that was a breakthrough the celtics had right getting brad stevens getting through uh the first round right. and getting to to the east finals was was huge and kind of a bucks are sort of you know trying to do that this year is, is at least get that um that playoff experience and and obviously for for guys like jalen to have gotten that a year ago as a rookie um tatum if he can obviously get some good playoff experience this year and and play really big minutes all year with especially with hayward out um that that's kind of and, and I've, I've heard people say that like wow this could be you know a blessing in disguise that hayward's hurt because you know these other guys are going to play well I, I don't know like I, I just can't say that after watching what happened to Hayward because you just never know how a guy's going to come back from something like that. But clearly there are some silver linings there. And, you know, for the Bucks, it's, you know, kind of the question which which of their young guys can kind of make those clear strides this year because, um, you know, I mean, it's the, the, the reality of the NBA. I mean, you can find a couple of really good players and then you have to pay them a lot of money and then you got to find more guys <laughs> to step up on cheap deals and, and kind of fill out that roster. So um, we'll be interesting to see. Um, 
I'm I'm looking forward. I'm really bummed that I can't be in Milwaukee for this game on Thursday. I'm not sure how much Celtics fans are aware of sort of the the throwback stuff that that's happening in Milwaukee, but um, the game taking place at the old Mecca Arena and the old uh, floor that was used in the Mecca, they they did a replica of it. And um, I'm not if people haven't seen pictures of it, I think it's going to look really cool. And um, the throwback jerseys are going to be out from the '71 Bucks team that won the title and. I guess the Celtics don't need to wear throwbacks because you guys just never change your jerseys. <laughs> Perpetual uh, <laughs> for yes, but uh, it, it the Celtics be. will counter with some weird alternate, probably. Yes, yeah, maybe right. So some some weird thing to just throw it off completely. Long sleeves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wear least, the hoodies out there. Yeah, at least wear some short shorts or something like that. That would that would be nice. But <laughs> Jalen um, Brown will help with that. I was gonna say Jalen Brown. I feel like he wears some some shorter shorts. DJ Wilson from the Bucks uh, hasn't really seen much game action, but he's worn short shorts going back to his days at Michigan and um, is is not afraid to show a little thigh. So shout out to DJ. Uh, <laughs> he will be at home in in, in his throwbacks tomorrow night. But um, but yeah, should be a fun game and you know again i think for the from a bucks perspective um you know stealing that game in in boston on on opening night for the bucks uh you know you just at this point you know especially with the bucks having so much continuity obviously the celtics in a very different situation with the hayward injury on top of that um you know so much turnover that that you know spread stevens is having to figure out um certainly for the bucks you know you you have the benefit of continuity. How do you take advantage of that and maybe bank some wins while teams like the Celtics are dealing with injuries and uh, and trying to kind of you know figure some things out still maybe with the rotation. So um, we'll be interested to see tomorrow. Um, see if the Bucks can can you know again kind of turn the trick for a second time. And uh, at a minimum, it should be a, a fun sight with uh, with the old arena and the old floor and the throwback jerseys. And um, we'll see if Giannis can uh, continue his uh, his incredible streak to start the season. Yeah, I mean, it has been an incredible, incredible start to the season for him. And, and like I said, uh, pe- people are probably sick of me, like, kind of openly rooting for him because <laughs> I just think I, I, he's just so much fun to watch. And I don't want him to beat the Celtics, but I just he's such a, an anomaly. He's like like DeRozan plus Durant. Like it's DeRozan's heavy reliance on twos with Durant's like super freakish length and and ball handling ability for a guy that size it's it's a hell of a mix and you know I've always said and not not just me everybody always says if this dude can figure it out from three man watch out the NBA is in a lot of trouble but let's let's pretend let's pretend that the Celtics in this game figure out a way to to contain Giannis, who has to step up? Who who steps up and the would would beat the Celtics if Giannis doesn't? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Chris Middleton is the obvious guy that you know is is the Bucks' second best player. He you know he's one of those guys who uh, you know has had a has had some shooting struggles to start the year. He he's been a slow starter at various points in his career, so maybe not a total shocker. But um, he's a guy that you know he has a bad shooting night and you look at the box score and even though he doesn't make flashy passes, he ends up with, you know, seven rebounds, five assists, gets a couple steals, leads the team in plus minus, And you're just like, what? It looked, it felt like he had a terrible game. And, and still Chris <laughs> always seems to be on the good side of, of, you know, the score line at the, at the end of it. And, and so I think Chris, 
Um, he's really struggled with, with his three point shot in particular to start the season. I think he started one out of 11 or something like that. Um, but he got going a little bit in the last game. They tried to get him going early, going to the basket a little bit. I mean, he's not like a driving guy. Uh, I was fascinated to see him get a couple of layups in transition against the Celtics in the opener, just because he's really not kind of an open court type guy. He's not particularly fast with the ball. He's not great athletically, but, um, but so I, I think for him in particular, you know, every year Bucks fans wish that he would shoot more threes because he's always right at 40%, but he never shoots a ton of them, and he's got a pretty quick trigger. Uh, he seems like, especially in the preseason, he was trying to get up more threes. He seems to want to do that, um, but they just haven't really been falling. Obviously, you feel like it's only a matter of time for a guy who's you know hit 40% over his career. So he's a guy that if he can kind of rediscover that outside shot a little bit, he had a huge three late in the game against Charlotte, so you hope that that might be um, something that might kind of get him out of his slump a little bit but again he does a lot of things really well and if he's shooting well then uh you know he's such a valuable weapon to have alongside Giannis and probably the other guy too you know Malcolm Brogdon played well uh, in Boston against uh, against Kyrie uh he had a, another couple good games uh last weekend before having to sit out uh, on Monday's game with with an ankle injury so um, Brogdon you know again I think Celtics surprised seeing some of Brogdon's better performances he had that really nice game where he hit that <laughs> ridiculous shot against Avery Bradley last year um, late in the season in Boston to help the Bucks win a game as well. So he's kind of one of those steady guys. And, uh, and you know, again, when, when he's knocking down threes, which he's doing so far, uh, he's so important because, again, not flashy, but his versatility, um, ability to kind of complement Giannis as a guy who, who doesn't need the ball to, to be effective is, is really important. So those two guys are obvious. And then, you know, the other guy who's been really up and down, Greg Monroe, was arguably – the Bucks' second most valuable player last year when you factor in the fact that Middleton and Jabari missed so much of the season. Monroe was just great for them off the bench. You know, again, guy who the second units just relied on and the second units were really good. I mean, he was an awesome plus minus guy last year. He played a lot better defense than he historically has. And he's just, you know, a guy that you can go to and, and get buckets down from the elbows or, or in the paint. And he's been very up and down so far to start the year, basically last weekend against Cleveland. Um, in Portland, like basically wasn't able to stay on the court, had all sorts of problems, um, you know, stopping offensive rebounds and pick and roll coverage, just things like that. Played a little bit better on Monday, but um, he's one of those guys. Like when he's right, he's really valuable. And then other nights, you know, you're just like, dude's a dinosaur. <laughs> you know, he, he just doesn't seem like <laughs> you can play him in the modern NBA. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of if if Greg can maybe get into a little bit more of a comfort zone because certainly, especially as as an anchor of those bench units, so many of their best lineups last year involved Greg and and Brogdon as well. They had a really great combination. They're able to play off each other very well they, they always talk about you know coming from sort of uh, uh, Georgetown and, and UVA kind of very kind of fundamentally sound schools with cutting and, and backdoor passing so um, hopefully those two guys can can combine a bit more than we've seen so far and um, certainly if you get you know those 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 three guys playing better or at a minimum getting two out of three of those guys playing at a pretty high level um, that obviously makes Giannis's job a lot easier and and obviously look I mean I have no idea right did I think Giannis was going to average 37 points a game in the first four games no I <laughs> I didn't um you know did I think Giannis could average high 20s yeah I thought he could do that so it'll be interesting to see just you know how sustainable Giannis's incredible scoring has uh, has been he's been just you know dominant as an ISO scorer which he was not last year this good and his strength just uh, is seemingly at another level this year and uh, guys are just bouncing off him so um hopefully he can continue to do that but uh we'll see obviously you wouldn't begrudge him if he had you know a 20.9 rebound game at some point because yeah. Lord knows the guy's human. So I, I would like to see him actually just have a good game, not <laughs> <laughs> the most dominant game yeah. ever. 
I think it's safe to say he will not shoot 66% from the field for the no. rest of the season. Well, th- yeah, the 13 out of 22 he shot in Boston was his worst shooting game of the season so far. So that, <laughs> that, that tells you where, where the bar is right now. So it's going to be pretty hard to keep, keep uh, doing that every game. You know, my, my immediate reaction to that, and this is a total Boston reaction, is just to say, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> let, us, let us have this one thing, John. <laughs> no, that's it. You... you 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 can have you can have a nice thing in Milwaukee. That's, Thank you. Thank that's, you. That's that's good. Let's just meet it. Let's meet in the East Finals. Hey, let's just do it there, right? Let's, sure. Let's sure. Fridge, an all green East Finals. Everybody have everybody's happy. It. I think that'd be a fantastic finals. That'd be a lot of fun for the right to go get destroyed by the Warriors. But we'll hey, take, we'll take it. Whatever. We'll take, we'll take it. it at this yeah, point. Exactly. All right, everybody. Bucks, Celtics. By the time you listen to this tonight, Thursday night, TNT, big throwback game. Uh, so it's going to be fun just to watch for that. Frank Madden, uh, guys, Frank is just the best. Like he's one of the OGs, man. Started brew hoop. He's been around forever. Uh, been following his stuff forever. So give him a follow on Twitter at F Madden NBA. And it's just, anytime you want to know anything about the bucks, Frank's your guy, Frank. Thanks. Thanks for uh, chatting with us for, for about an hour here. Absolutely, man. It was fun, and uh, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have to you know get this crew back together in in May, I guess. In May, yeah. Let's do that late May. Let's let's have sure. Some, let's have some let's have some Bucks Celtics previews in May. I, I I'd be down for that. We we I haven't I haven't had to do any game previews uh, in my lifetime as a as covering the Bucks in May. So I'd like to start doing that. <laughs> so let's see if we yeah, can do that. We do a series preview. How yeah, about that? Exactly. Be nice. That'd be nice. All right, Frank. Thanks a lot, man. No no doubt. Take care.